I was on the front line, and that's where journalists used to go. As you said in your opening, I mean, I mean, now they sit in an air-conditioned room and they just get a script and, and, and act as if they know what's true, even though they weren't there. <laughs> you know, there, there's, there's several of us who still go to the front line to say, I want to know. And that's what I've always done. I've said, if something's happened in another country, I don't want to learn about it through this corrupt media. I want to go there. You know, let's go to Bolivia and find out about the, the fires in the Amazon or whatever it is. Let's go and actually talk to the people on the street and find out what's really happening. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today, Paul welcomes back filmmaker Mickey Willis. Hello, everybody. I'm very excited to have Mickey Willis, producer of Plandemic 1 and 2, back for part two of the continuation of our first interview regarding what is really going on in the world right now with COVID, politics, loss of freedom of speech, the right to the sovereignty of our own bodies, and more. My first interview with Mickey was very potent and revealing. We dialogued on what we each think is really going on at the core of appearances. In this interview, I began with the following question. Mickey, there's a lot of turmoil around the world over a number of issues ranging from all the chaos around Donald Trump and his loss in the election and impeachment, to confusion about COVID and deep concern about the safety of the vaccines being given out, to racial and sexual sensitivity, significant loss of freedom of speech and the sovereignty of our bodies, to a long string of evidence that the media is being used to confuse, isolate, scare, and divide people, to inauthentic journalism, to growing tent cities of displaced people in places like Portland, Oregon, and more. Can you share what's been going on with your ongoing investigation of some of the issues I've cited above? This one question alone unleashed an avalanche of not only information from Mickey, but how his life entered a period of significant turmoil over the past month that resulted in the FBI investigating him. In this podcast, Mickey shares a video to prove that what he is proposing is indeed true and ultimately became the evidence resulting in the FBI letting him off the hook for what he was wrongly accused of, which is inciting violence at the Capitol building. Mickey and I spend time exploring the situation we're in and offer our suggestions for restoring the balance in society and ways we can all support living in a democracy before it's too late. Enjoy my potent dialogue on these issues today with Mickey Willis. Hi, everybody. You know, people from around the world are constantly asking me where they can find organic foods and supplements that are actually organic, not just some fake impersonation, which is sadly so common in the marketplace today. My most common suggestion is go to Organifi.com, that's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com, where you can find a wide range of excellent nutritious products made from certified organic source materials. Organifi has superfood drinks that actually taste great, <laughs> unlike most, immune support products, excellent high-quality protein powders, digestive support, joint support, liver support, green juice, hormonal support, and menstrual ease nutrition formulated by a team of female herbologists for women and more. My family and I and a significant number of my clients and friends and students from around the world use and love Organifi products because they're nutritious, taste great, and unlike many products, you actually get what you pay for. Hallelujah! I love Organifi's high values and high quality products, and they're excellent for athletes, children, and the whole family. There's no better investment than investing in your own health and well-being. And when it comes to investing in my health and the health of my family, I go to Organifi. 
If that's not enough to make you want to explore all the amazing products waiting for you at Organifi, I'd love to sweeten the deal for you by offering you a special Living 4D with Paul Check discount of 20% on any of Organifi's excellent certified organic, super clean, nutritious products by using the code capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K, 20 on checkout. That's CHECK20, all caps, on checkout. I hope you enjoy Organifi as much as my family and I do. Hello, everybody. I don't know if you're aware, but there is a tremendous amount of confusion about stretching amongst athletes, therapists, and people in general. For example, here are some misconceptions that result in inefficient, ineffective stretching, or may even set you up for injury. A. You should stretch all the muscles in your body in a stretching session. This concept ignores the principle of balance. Think of a bicycle wheel that's out of balance. If you loosen all the spokes... Will you get a balanced wheel? Everyone should stretch. Though stretching in general is good for people, there are many people with hypermobile joints. Stretching the muscles crossing such joints increases hypermobility, facilitating joint dysfunction, inflammation, degenerative changes, and pain. If you don't stretch hard enough, you won't get good results. This misconception is common amongst martial artists and unskilled teachers and practitioners of yoga. The truth is, that you should consider a tight muscle like a crying baby and move into the stretch gently. Coupling stretching actions with conscious breathing actually enhances short and long-term benefits and long-term range of motion changes. Another common misconception is that you should do a good stretch before an athletic event to get the best results. Though this is a true concept, the problem is that most athletes use static stretching or long hold stretches to loosen tight muscles before athletic events. This, as I show in my scientific stretching program, results in a lot of muscle injuries. This is one of the most common reasons sprinters tear hamstring muscles, and in the course, I show you why this happens. The truth is, even when people have a solid understanding of the physical side of stretching, it's still only a mechanical process. The human body is much more complex than that. Mechanical approaches to stretching don't offer the true depth and power of stretching scientifically. It is well known in many healing arts and well described in books like Stanley Kellman's Emotional Anatomy that muscles, joints, and connective tissue all respond to one's thoughts, feelings, and emotions. This is clearly defined when we study the anatomy of yoga and the chakra system. Each part, be it internal or external, is linked to an associated chakra and corresponding mental-emotional challenges that are unresolved in the individual. Tight muscles often result from such energies being stored in the body. In scientific stretching, not only do I show you how to read the body from many perspectives, I give comprehensive explanations on this process and tips for using stretching, breathing, pressure release, and awareness so anyone can heal and restore emotional and mental balance to their body-mind as part of a holistic approach. Learning to stretch properly gives you a lot of information that can help you at every level of your being. For trainers, coaches, and therapists of any type, the information I share can be applied and greatly increase the effectiveness of one's therapeutic approach. Getting great results is always great for business. My new course, Scientific Stretching, will teach you not only the best way to stretch and improve your health and performance physically, but will help you see and realize the deeper mental, emotional, and spiritual benefits of stretching as well. One of the real benefits of the teachings I share is that you learn the language of the body and realize that it's always talking to you, giving you tips, and making suggestions as to where change is needed, be it your exercise program, stretching program, diet and lifestyle, your relationships, or even your overall disposition. In my new scientific stretching course, you will learn what stretching offers us for achieving health and well-being. My one, two, three, four model of stretching. 
Stretching assessments for targeted stretching, including what types of stretching work best in different situations. The pressure release method for improving mobility and flow. The mental-emotional relationships to body restriction. The fascia-water relationship. And much, much more. As with all the courses in my scientific e-learning series, this course is extremely comprehensive and will give you a perspective on stretching that will help you and your clients see tremendous long-term results. For professionals using stretching as part of their practice, scientific stretching will give you the kind of advantage a calculator would have given you in math class before anyone else had one. Scientific stretching includes 11 videos with over 8 hours of education plus a PDF manual to help you follow along. I've developed these techniques in the 37 years of my clinical practice working with all sorts from all sports, so it has been time-tested over a lot of years. My clinical approach to stretching will support balancing your body, reduce injury, speed healing, free trapped emotions, help you read your body and maintain a healthy dialogue with it, differentiate and learn to use pre-event, post-event maintenance and corrective stretching approaches effectively, and much, much more. Get started now at checkinstitute.com forward slash stretching. That's C-H-E-K institute.com forward slash stretching. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today, I have Mickey Willis back. He is the producer of Plandemic 1 and 2 and many other excellent documentaries, some available through normal channels. Some, unfortunately, have been taken down, probably because there's just a little more truth than the uh, AI minds can handle or whatever is out there, the mysterious forces. So, Mickey, welcome to part two of our excellent discussion we began last time. Thank you, Paul. It's good to be back with you. And thank you again for all the great work you're doing out there. I'm, I was, As I was saying when we had a chat yesterday, I'm glad it was you because most other people would have gotten violent and fell right into the trap. And I feel that you're doing an excellent job of being a living example of spiritual leadership. So thank you for that. Uh, thank you. I appreciate that. I'm sure we'll get into what that's about. Yeah. Well, Mickey, there's a lot of turmoil around the world over a number of issues ranging from the chaos around Trump and his loss of the election and impeachment, confusion about covid and deep concern about the safety of the vaccines being given out to radical, uh, excuse me, to racial and sexual sensitivity, significant loss of freedom of speech and the sovereignty of our bodies to a long string of evidence that the media is being used to confuse, isolate, scare, and divide people uh, to inauthentic journalism, to growing tent cities and of displaced people in places like Portland, Oregon, and much more. I know you're you're one of the few people I know that gets right into the heart of these things and and instead of looking at your phone you're right there at the epicenter of a lot of these tornadoes. I'd love it if you can share what's been going on with your ongoing investigation with some of the issues I've cited above since we last spoke. Where would you like to start? Well, you know, I think a couple of things one are are the pandemic movies still getting a lot of action? And two, I thought it'd be a great time for you to share what happened when you went to the uh, was it was the White House, wasn't it? The Capitol. The Capitol, yeah. Well, answer to your first question is, it's hard to tell 
how much traction the pandemic movies are receiving because they're definitely not receiving a lot of traction here in the States because of our level of censorship. Surprisingly, they're doing much better in other nations. And even in some nations that I, I think would be on the uh, fringe of being known as a communist nation, the films are even doing better. The people have more ability to share and to um, uh, watch what, what we've produced. And so I've, after what happened at the Capitol, which I'll get into in a moment, uh, I had it, all of my social media taken down, and I'll explain why. And, um, and you know, it's temporary, but I, I shut down the pandemic website. I shut down my Facebook page, which was my, my, my main platform. And, uh, and so right now, there's, you know, besides BitChute and I think a couple of other places that, that citizens have uploaded pandemic, I don't know where, where to find it right now. Um, uh, so let me get into the story of, of what took place on January 6th at the Capitol. Um, so when, when I heard that there was a, a, a big thing happening and that, you know, potentially a million people were going to show up, uh, I knew right away that it would be billed as a white supremacy event. And this has already happened around the world. Uh, when Germany, I believe it was 1.4 million people showed up in the streets I've seen the footage. I've had some filmmakers send me direct footage that was shot, and it was very peaceful. And it was there was a lot of families, and they were simply there to protest the lockdowns. Uh, people that were very concerned that two weeks to flatten the curve has turned into a year now, and that they were losing their jobs and unable to feed their children. And this was the majority of all of the interviews that I witnessed with my own eyes, seeing this raw footage. Um, yet, yet when the media got a hold of it to discourage Americans from doing the same, taking to the streets and saying, you know, you know we, we deserve a little bit more respect here. And we, we now have the numbers that we can look at to see the areas that didn't do such strict lockdowns and even the areas that did no lockdowns. And we now see that they're in better shape. If you, if you listen to the media, they, the spin is that, that they're worse off, but that's not true. Uh, places like Florida and South Dakota. My wife is from South Dakota, so we have a lot of friends and family that are there. And so what you see in the media is not true. Uh, that, that governor did an amazing job. She said, let's respect our citizens, and we'll, we won't make it mandatory. We'll make it voluntary. And their economy didn't go down. Their, their, their unemployment stayed the same, roughly. And then we have all these other territories, uh, you know, Hong Kong included, some some other places that just refused to play the game to that degree and gave their citizens more respect to be responsible and to understand that there are things that we must do to protect each other, but we're not going to ruin your future. And, uh, and so I knew I had heard from all the groups that I'm part of that there were going to be massive demonstrations and, and, and massive amounts of people that were going to be at, at, at NDC on January 6th to simply protest and have their voices heard regarding the lockdowns. Nothing to do with Trump, nothing to do with voter fraud, none of that. And so I said, I, I, let's go and I'll film it, I'll make a short film just to show that the diversity of people that are there, because it's gonna, the media is gonna focus on nothing but white people and they're gonna turn into some racial thing. And while that's there and that's real and, and, and we need to certainly be aware of that, um, let's not omit, omit all of the immigrants and, and people of color that, that are there also to protest the harm that's being done to their daily lives. 
Um, let's give them the voice they need and the respect they need. So I went there to, to film a short film to feature just that. And, and I was, a few days before we went, somebody reached out and said, um, there's someone doing a talk there, producing a, a talk on a smaller stage, not the main stage, nothing to do with the rally or, or, or the Trump event. Um, but it's health freedom. It's a bunch of doctors. And they verbally told me a few names, and they were all people that I deeply respect and some that I'm friends with. And I said, yeah, I'm going to be in D.C. And so I'd be happy to speak. Sure, 15 minutes. Uh, I'd, I'd, you know, Any chance we get these days with all the censorship and, and being banned all over the world, any chance to speak and to share the message about health freedom, I jump at it. And so I said, yes. And we booked our uh, tickets and booked our hotels and did all of that. And just before I was leaving, I received a text message and it just said, share this, please share this. And so I open it up and it's a flyer for the event. And the name had been changed from Health Freedom to MAGA Freedom Rally. And I went, oh no, <laughs> this is not good. And then I looked at the lineup and Roger Stone was one of the people. And who is MAGA? And I'm not familiar with Roger Stone. Uh, uh, well, MAGA is Trump's brand, is oh. Make America Great Again. Okay. So MAGA is, it been, has been Trump's whole brand. So it's been incredibly demonized. And it's just not, not a brand that I want to operate under. Right. And Roger Stone was, I don't know much about him either. I have met him once before. Um, and he was a very nice guy, political strategist or something. Um, but all I know is that when they were doing the Mueller investigation, he was one of the ones that were, that were uh, arrested. Uh, SWAT team shows up to his house, pulled him out of his house. And to really make an example out of him um, for something unrelated, apparently unrelated at all to Trump. Um, and and then later, Trump pardoned him. That's all I know, really, of, of him. I probably should do some more research on him. But all I know is he's a very, um, uh, a very di di um, divisive figure. Right. And he and the combination of Roger Stone's presence and and MAGA, Make America Great Again, banner. Um, I knew. I said, listen, this is. I, I I called my one of my friends who was also speaking on the stage, and I said, um. How do you feel about this? And he said, not good. He goes, I don't know about you, but that's not the name that I was pitched when I said yes. I said, no, me, me, me neither. Um, what do we do about this? And, and he said, I, I, it's not good. I don't want to have a target on me. I want to just go there and speak about you know, health freedom. And, and I think this is probably not good. We don't know what kind of violence could break out there or, or anything like that. But this just, just puts a target on us. And it also makes it po political for us where we really just want to speak to to people about their, their, their human rights and civil liberties. And, um, and so I called the, the, um, organizer of the event and I said, listen, there's a few of us that are not happy with the name change. Uh, why did that occur? And in so many words, she said, well, you know, we, we weren't getting the response that we wanted. And, um, you know, we knew that, that the big events happening nearby and we just thought it would attract more people. And I said, well, I, I understand that strategically, but, um, you know, I'm not comfortable speaking on a stage branded this under the hysteria of this moment i think it's dangerous and i'd rather not be involved and she said well i understand if you want to drop out that's fine um but please know that um that flyer went out to just a few people and we won't we won't send it out anymore um and then i learned through an, another phone call that roger stone wasn't coming and so i went oh well all right there's some really 
great people that I highly respect speaking on the stage. And um, so I said, all right, I'll, I'll show up and follow through. And so we go to we go to D.C. And just before I went on stage, I was backstage. Somebody said, um, the Capitol is being stormed. And I said to my crew, my crew was there filming me. Um, they were going to, they were going to film my talk. And I just said, you know what guys, just go, go find out what's happening over there. And, um, and then come back and let me know. Now I'm waiting backstage for a long time. My, my slot, everyone was really late and you know how that goes. Yeah. And I'm waiting and I'm sitting there going, I'm hearing sirens around, around DC and I'm getting worried about my crew. And I'm thinking, God, I didn't tell them, you know, I didn't really address them on the, you know, how to be there that they shouldn't they should be very careful not to cross any of the barriers to not go inside to not do anything that they could later be implicated for and so i thought i i told the you know the organizer of the event i said you know can i can i come back and speak maybe later um i i really i really need to go find out what's happening at, at the capitol and they said sure that's fine and so i go to the capitol and i'd never been to the capitol before and i wasn't even aware that i was on the back side of the capitol but it was very peaceful. I stood there for a moment. There was a, a, a barricade of, of, of police um, facing, um, facing protesters. And I, and I stood there. I was trying to radio my crew. I had an earpiece in. I was trying to radio my crew, and I couldn't get a hold of anyone. And I, so I just kind of observed for a little while, and I was listening, like, what's being said and what's going on? And I was very pleasantly surprised, Paul, because people were being um, very, very respectful. They were telling the police uh, all the way from we love you to we're human like you. We just want our voices heard. There was a lot of talk about we're here. There were people saying, I'm not a Trump supporter. I'm not a Biden supporter. I'm none of that. I'm only here because I want the people inside to know that these lockdowns are killing our nation and I can't feed my children. Very fair stuff. Yeah. And and the, the, the most I had seen was a couple of guys police had their shields up and a couple of guys that were very carefully pressing forward, leaning forward, saying, please, come on, man, come on, please let us go to the stairs. Uh, every other group that's ever come here to protest is allowed to go to the stairs, go to the doors. Why is it different for us? Come on, come on, man. We're just human. And they're kind of pressing forward. And then the cops finally just went, I don't think I got a, they must've gotten some kind of command because all of them at once just moved out of the way. Right. And everyone went up the stairs and there were just people taking selfies and they were smiling and wave, waving flags. And I went up halfway to the stairs and I made a little video basically saying, this is what democracy really looks like. You know, it doesn't, it shouldn't matter who, what side you're on or what you're fighting for. When enough of us as citizens stand up to say something, the elected leaders who work for us should listen. And I'm here with the people that are, you know, that are really fighting to take back our nation from the this rise of tyranny that's happening that's that's taking away our civil liberties and that was it that was pretty much it then i got a call and they said get back here you're up and so i i i ran back to the stage and i got on stage and i said um i used an unfortunate statement that i i didn't even know at the time was something that would be so criticized but I was very inspired because I was like, that's the way people need to protest. They were using their voices, conscious language. And I got up on stage and I said, I just witnessed something that was beautiful. I witnessed people very peacefully um, push through. And that's what I mean when they were leaning forward. I said, as peacefully as that could possibly happen, 
I witnessed these proud patriots um, use their voice to to move to the stairs of the Capitol to have their voices heard. And that line, when I just me saying proud patriots has been so criticized, I had no idea it was such a weaponized term. For me, simply meaning people who love our nation and people that were behaving civilly. That's all I meant by proud patriots. What else would it mean? I don't get it. Well, I am being told by people now that it's a racial term, that it has been that it has been co-opted by the right and that it that it signifies or it's a dog whistle for white supremacy. And I'm like, this is just insanity. This is not you know, I mean, they're all of our words are being weaponized such that mother and father is being pulled out of uh, our lexicon that, you know, love, God, prayer, freedom, all these things that really um, that people like you that actually went to service to fight for this nation care about people like me who have been an activist for over 20 years. But, you know, a- apparently in the tr- in the four years of, of Trump, because a lot of people that were seen as supporters of his used those words and those words were then demonized and so that triggered people um and then and then um i do my talk i i again i'm like where's my crew they're not back yet so i i go back to the capitol and every everything's the same people are incredibly peaceful and and they're just hanging out so i go I'm trying to radio my crew and could not get them on radio. I try to call them on cell phone. No one's picking up. And so I go to the top of the stairs, which is the back door. Now, it's very important for people to know that, that the front side, I've now seen the video, was, was crazy mm-hmm. um, of what was going on the front side. The back side was, at least when I got there, I don't know what happened before I got there or after I left, but it was very peaceful. But I got up to the back doors and, oh, somebody had told me down, I, I overheard people saying, they're letting people in now. Come on, you can come in. Everything, come on, they're letting people in and out. I went, wow, that's interesting. Okay, they're letting people in. So I go up to the back doors and I look and sure enough, there's lines of people uh, trickling in and out and there's police at the door. That was the first time I saw these broken windows. And I went, like, how did that happen? What I, I had no idea at that point that any, any kind of breaching had happened or any kind of violence. And I looked around, I said, well, obviously something went down here, but I'm watching the cops and they, the attentions were kind of high, but again, people were saying, we love you. You know, um, at the, the very most I heard someone saying was time's up, get out. They're telling that to the police. That was the most violent thing. If you could call it violent that I heard other than that, it was just very much like, you know, um, why are you letting some pe- people in, but not all of us or, or thank you. And again, we love you. And, and so I pull out my cell phone, I start filming this. And, um, and I'm just kind of a fly on the wall. I'm just watching. I'm perfectly silent. And my radio starts to squabble in my ear. And so I'm, I'm filming as I'm listening, thinking, is that my crew? And it doesn't sound like them. It sounds like a bunch of radio interference, but I'm listening. And while that's happening, they start chanting something, the crowd. And, um, I should also back up to say at one point, the only thing that I saw that was physically violent was one or two men, I couldn't tell, were pushing the crowd, the same guys that were saying time's up, sort of pushing the crowd forward and it pushed the front line into, into the police. And I yelled very loudly. It's all on camera. I have all the video. Uh, I yelled very loudly over and over. Stop. Stop that shit. Whoa, whoa. Don't do that. You know, and I just kept telling everyone, stop, stop. Don't mm-hmm. do that. And so I, you know, 
because I've been doing this a long time and I, I, there's no room for that kind of stuff on the front line. It never, ever produces any positive results and it never, it never works in any way. So I'm not a, I'm not an advocate whatsoever of using any kind of physical force in a, in a situation like that. It's, it's about the voice. And so, um, shortly after that, everyone stopped. Um, and the other thing I saw was somebody threw a pencil or something like that. That was about the, the most of it. But after I yelled, everyone stopped. Like they literally looked at me and wondered what, wh- who was yelling. And I looked right at them. And I said, stop now. And they stopped. I said, okay, good. And then I'm, now I'm back to the moment where I'm listening to the squabbling in my, head, in my headset and, and I'm filming. And they start chanting something. I had no idea what they were chanting because I was too busy going, is that my team talking to me in my ear? Um, but it turns out there, and it was also, I've analyzed the video with audio software to isolate certain voices and to really listen. And there were like three or four different things being said at the time. Um, people were, a uh, lady next to me was saying, where's Mike Pence? Someone was saying, hey, Mike Pence. Someone, I don't know. They only said it once, but they said, free Mike Pence. I have no idea what that means. Um, but the majority were, were, I now know, and I later found out they were saying, hang Mike Pence. Now, I didn't know at the time exactly. I, I was too busy with my speaking and all that to even know why this crowd would have turned on Mike Pence. I didn't have all the intel of what was actually going on and why that, that would even make sense. I now know that they felt that he flopped and was you know paid off or whatever the, 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 the false narrative is. And so I, I didn't participate. I just had my camera up. The chant went for you know, 10 seconds and it was over. <clears throat> I come back from D.C., I'm at home and I'm starting to edit this 10 minute movie and it's beautiful. You know, just a lot of immigrants and people from North Korea and China and Venezuela and all these former communist nations that they'd come out there to tell the people that what's happening in America right now, they never thought would happen. It's exactly what they escaped in their nation to the T and they all verbatim, all these different people that weren't even connected with each other. Um, we're saying exactly the same things. And I think, you know, we need to listen to those people. They've lived it, they've escaped it. And why are they all saying the same thing? They're saying this is exactly how they got us. This is what's happening in America. We never thought it was possible. So I start making this film to really show that, you know, not everyone was there to to support Trump or, or, or for any of that. Like, these are the citizens we need to listen to. And I told my crew, I said, just focus on the faces that you wouldn't expect to see there. And they did a great job of that. And so I'm putting this together and I happen to have, um, like at one point glance at my Facebook page and I just suddenly see all this hate, hatred. I'm like, what, what, what is going on? And I see this, somebody, people are posting this meme and it's a screenshot of the moment when I'm holding my camera and somebody had said, this is Mickey Willis, creator of Plandemic and a domestic terrorist oh, chanting, God, yeah. chanting, hang Mike Pence. <laughs> push forward no and none of that happened whatsoever i mean it's really clear i mean people in my defense some people were like i just watched the whole video he's on camera as this chant is happening and unless he's a great ventriloquist he's not he's not part of the chant yeah you know and he's a journalist he's a documentary filmmaker he has a right to be up there uh but then new york times didn't help the situation because I was making a video, which I do sometimes I'll make a, a, a kind of a video diary. So when I'm filming something, 
when things are happening so chaotic, you come back sometimes and you don't always remember when things happened. You know, you, you get scrambled sometimes. So every now and then I'll do a little video diary. I'm like, okay, just came back from the front line. This is what happened. We got hit with pepper spray. Um, and the people that were there are, are still there. They're trying to get in to take their stand. It's just a note to me, to myself, right? New York Times recognized me. And they, they had a camera come up and film me as I'm doing my video diary. And they used only the snippet that made it sound as if I'm saying. Because I did say I was on the front line. And that's where journalists used to go. As you said in your opening, I mean, I mean, now they sit in an air-conditioned room and they just get a script and, and, and act as if they know what's true, even though they weren't there. <laughs> you know, there, there's, there's several of us who still go to the front line to say, I want to know. And that's what I've always done. I've said, if something's happened in another country, I don't want to learn about it through this corrupt media. I want to go there. You know, let's go to Bolivia and find out about the, the fires in the Amazon or whatever it is. Let's go and actually talk to the people on the street and find out what's really happening. And so that's all I was doing was was trying to capture the moment. And um, and so this meme goes around and people start, you know, tagging the FBI and saying he's a terrorist and here's the creator of Plandemic and here and then they then they find, you know, the video of my talk is released and and some dishonest person that runs a very dishonest website um, pulled out of my talk a moment I did say proud patriots and then the mo and then the, there's a massive jump cut of where I'm suddenly on the other side of the stage and what they cut out was me criticizing both political parties. I'm on stage and I and I say I came from the the far left. Now there's very important people don't listen to nuance anymore. They don't listen to the language anymore. They only hear what they want to hear. I I'm not criticizing all Democrats and all of the left. I said the far left. And I want to be very clear what I mean by that extremism is one of the key problems in this nation. Mm -hmm. And so when I talk, I don't like to just lump everybody and say everyone on the right. That's what the media does. And that's just not true. There are some very, very upstanding, honorable people that consider themselves conservative and right-leaning. And there are some very, very upstanding, wonderful people that consider themselves um, liberal and, and, and left-leaning. Um, did I say right-leaning right on the other one? I think so, um, yeah, but okay, good. what you're saying is on either side, there's extremists, but there's also good people in either camp. There's, of course there is. And, and, and what I've learned from having interviewed hundreds of people over the past you know, several years about politics is, this is my belief, my opinion, but I stand strongly behind it, is... Liberals and conservatives are not really that far apart. There's some fundamental, foundational ideologies that that differ. But in the same way that a, a you know a husband and wife um, or any relationship, for that matter, they say opposites attract. You can be how many of us are completely different in some areas of our mates, right? Yeah. yeah. But it works, and and yeah. sometimes that dynamic actually makes it work even better. Well, that's, you're that's not how just... growth occurs. Totally. And so liberals and conservatives can be in, in right relationship, but the far left and the far right, we are stuck in a tug of war where yeah. we're being pulled and being pulled apart by radical ideologies and things that anyone using a little bit of common sense can say, this is probably not good for our future. Right. And so 
I am very critical of the far left and the far right. And I went on stage and I even said, the main point I want to discuss with you is this. And I said, we have to drop the red, blue, left, right, you know, bullshit. And Mm -hmm. we, the people, no matter what gender, color or anything, we need to stay together because when we are, we, we can achieve anything. And it's this very small group of people that they often refer to as the elite, which I said, I don't think they're elite at all, but they're very powerful and very wealthy. And they're, they're playing us and dividing us so they can conquer. And this un, uh, you know, dishonest website snipped out all my criticism of the right so that it appeared that I'm just slamming the left. And so, of course, I get all the left calling me a traitor. And and so it's traitor, terrorist, and all these things, right, that's suddenly popping up. Isn't there laws against that? I mean, that's that's really um, that's really not only manipulation, but, you're, you know, as you found out, it sets people up for for being a target i mean there are libel and slander laws very clear laws and some of these people are going to know exactly uh how powerful those laws are very soon because there are some people that we're going to go after and we're going to simply say um take down your post start there and and after we show you the facts um retract your statement yes and if you don't we're gonna we're gonna come after them legally um and so I'm, I've been lawyering up for the past month to, to prepare for this onslaught of, of, of um, lo- potential lawsuits with people, including a couple of major uh, news outlets who, who ran with the story, too. You know, New York Times, people have no idea how crooked these, and I mean all of them. All of mainstream oh, media yes. is, is crooked. You know, I'm not just picking on left or what they call liberal media. Um, all of them, Fox, all of them, I think, need to just go away and let us let the let, let the people, you know, start it fresh again with actual news and information instead of all of these people that are paid to give you their um, a, a, a opinions so that they can further advance the control of, of the narrative, um, as Plato said. He, uh, those who control the narrative rule society. That the very true words. Oh yes, and, I have some things to read coming up that okay. relate to exactly that uh, issue right there because it, it's going to be part of our discussion moving forward. But you know, Noam Chomsky spoke extensively about this, and he's got his ten rules for how the I think he calls it the oligarchy takes away your democracy and. I shared those in my uh, webinar I did in 2017 for the new year called Take Back Your Health 2017. Mm-hmm. But he but he speaks extensively about how exactly all this stuff goes down and why they do it. And you're just describing it in detail uh, as, yeah. as, as a living experience. So sorry, I just want to interject that you're hitting on stuff that I want to highlight later because – you know, for example, I was interviewing Jeffrey Mishlove. Um, he is the the creator of of the TV show Thinking Aloud, which is absolutely excellent. And then he he uh, now has it on YouTube called The New Thinking Aloud. But I was having a email. Actually, I talked to him in the podcast, but he he said, you know, he doesn't believe that our our journalism is out of balance or inauthentic, and he actually cited the New York Times for being authentic in their journalism. I'm, I, I was just shocked because he's a he's a re- leading world-leading parapsychologist researcher and a, a guy who's in parapsychology 
has come face to face with all the manipulation. But it just amazed me that there's still people out there that actually believe that these organizations are telling the truth. And I, a, a good example, I was talking to an artist I was interviewing. And she said, well, I can come meet with you if you're if you're all right. I don't know what your feelings are about COVID and all that. I said, well, you know, I shared my opinion. And she said, well, I I just go by what the CDC says. And, and I'm like, well, great, but you might want to look who who's involved in that and who's got their hooks in the CDC. But she she wasn't even willing to discuss it. It was just like, no, you know, yeah. so people aren't open to any level of truth. They're, they're not. And, you know, I, I, I understand. I have compassion for those people. But, you know, they, people tend to just call them sheep or stupid or whatever. And, and, and I, I don't like to go there because, you know, you, we have to really understand the dynamics of, you know, people are scared right now. Yeah. And they want to they want to hang on to um, some semblance of trust for something. And to all of a sudden pull the rug out from people and just say, you can't trust any politician. You can't trust your own party. Uh, you knew you couldn't trust the other party, but now you can't trust your party. You can't trust anyone in the media. It, it's a gradual process for people. They don't want to just suddenly, you know, have to look at, at at the darkness of the world, and so they hang on to things. But I'm with you in that. It's it amazes me that that you know you can see how many times these outlets are are diametrically inaccurate yes or completely dishonest and and it happens over and over and over um and people keep tuning into these outlets and it just blows my mind that you wouldn't go i I have no tolerance for that stuff if i'm following a news source and they get it wrong twice i never look at them again you know i give them a chance once i go okay they made a mistake um and then it's also how do they own that mistake like if I know they made a mistake and I don't see them actually being accountable for that mistake and telling their people that was an error, right? Or they they do what not, New York Times and all the big outlets do, which is they'll they they'll lie and and that hits the front page and then the the retraction hits you know page t- in the sports section somewhere and no one ever sees it. So two million people or twenty million people see the lie and two hundred people see the retraction and so that still stays within the collective belief that yes. that that the lie was true but i i just want people to understand this i'm a 30 plus year veteran of the media uh the media likes to downplay my experience they like to um call me a model or you know whatever they've dug up from my past which is like i modeled for one year when i was 19 years old and and it and had uh, you know, incredible amount of, of potential of offers of money that I could make. And, but I hated so much the pretentiousness of posing and being so worried about our looks and our fashion and all of that, that I left that in it. You know, I only did it because I had this promise to do what my family could never afford. And that was go overseas and travel to actually see what Greece looks like and Rome. And, 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 you know, it was the first time anyone from my family had gotten out, out of this nation. And so I took the opportunity just to see the world. Um, but my my pedigree in media is long and 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 valid. And I have worked for these companies as a producer, as a camera person, as a cinematographer, as a writer. And I've been in boardrooms with major media outlets. And Eve, they've gotten worse because I'm talking 
20, 15 years ago, they were even bad then. The, the way that they would create a story was not based upon what are the facts. It's how do we get their attention? How, do, how are we the first and how are we the loudest and how are we the, the most sensational such that people will listen to our viewpoint of the story? Right. And I, you know, through the years, I saw so much stuff when it came to the wars we were developing and fighting and, and all the ways that we were manipulate, manipulating the American people um, that wanted peace, that were anti-war, to suddenly drop all their morals and their life's purpose and suddenly vote for war. That's what a lot of it was back when I was working with ma- mainstream media. And so for people that try to tell me that the media is honest, uh, you know, it's like, who do we listen to? A guy like me who's been in there 30 years, you know, or, the, or you know, the media themselves telling you that they're great. Now, I want to also say that I'm, I, I have deep, profound respect for the art of journalism. It is one of the most important services we can provide, the collection of data and information to inform the people so that we can be better prepared to guide our lives is an is a, a a very worthy profession but it's if you understand the people that are being hired to fill these positions and the way that they're being um, um, the, the stranglehold that's even on them some of them start off with a real desire to be a real journalist but they get into a system just like many of our doctors where they know that if they speak the truth if they become a whistleblower if they reveal um, any lies against the narrative that they've been, they've been told to spread, they are blacklisted. They are done. They will never work again in, in, in any job that matters. Yeah, no, you, to me, journalism really should be um, considered sacred because, you know, it's like, look at all the trouble you get when people who... Well, here's an example. There's one Bible, but there's now 33,000 branches of Christianity (laughs) all claiming to have the authentic truth. Yeah. So my point being is if you call the Bible a mimetic structure, a collection of concepts, ideas, beliefs, and experiences, but then somebody puts their own spin on it, and then the next guy puts their own spin on it, and the next guy puts their own spin on it. Pretty soon, nobody really understands who Jesus was or what he right. stood for or <laughs> yeah. anything. It's kind of like, you know, there's there's no foundation. There's no there's no um, roots to the truth. So what you end up with is just total confusion and and battling. And and Paul, this is by design. I mean, there's a quote by um, oh, what was it? What was the man's name? He was the the director of the FBI back in I think it was the 80s. I, I think when reagan was was serving um and he had he was in the white house and he made a quote at a some kind of a function he said we will know that our disinformation campaign is complete when everything that the american people believe is false yeah and this is this is the head of the of the cia is CIA, what it is, yeah. the, the director of the cia that said this and so we're actually living that right now and i'll give you an example of of um, and people don't know this until you've actually dealt with mainstream media. And so, you know, I've dealt with them before, but my, you know, n- n- 
not like not as deep as and uh, as what happened after pandemic was released uh the amount of just blatant lies that were that were told um we went after every debunker every fact checker and this is this is something that a lot of people don't know um and and we did this publicly for 6 months we offered a $10,000 challenge to wow. anyone that could, anyone that could prove one claim in either pandemic to be scientifically false um and and i put this out on my facebook page daily or at least every other day i would any time people would come back at me with with some hatred or whatever i'd say then here here's an escrow account an online escrow account i'll put 10k in there you put 10k in there and just prove one point that that is indisputably inaccurate in either pandemic um and you win my money and if you can't then i win your money yeah and and nobody in 6 months i went after the doctors who even wrote open letters you know of how harmful and dangerous my movies were and i went directly to them and i said are you willing to take this challenge why don't we do an online debate and and they always had lame excuses you know of they're course. just like you know one of them said maybe in 2021 or i'm just too busy uh, i'm on the front line i'm too busy i'm saying you're not too busy to write a four page letter yeah but you're too, you're too busy to do a 15 minute debate online like right. it doesn't it doesn't like put your money where your mouth is and nobody would 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 nobody took that offer in six months, um, and but here's a, here's a direct example. Unless you've dealt with mainstream media, you know you have no idea how wicked they can be. So New York Times reached out to me regarding this capital situation, and 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 they said, "Would you like to do an interview?" And I said, "Only by email because I've learned that you'll twist everything I say, and I won't be able to prove it." So I wanted it in writing. They said, "Sure, that's fine. Here are our questions." And so what you know. Of course, I have to address the question of, or, or the idea that people were saying online that I went into the Capitol. I went into the Capitol because they're trying to get me arrested. And pretty much everyone who went to the Capitol had some kind of charge against them. Even though clearly, if you've seen the video online, there was a moment where they opened the doors and cops are lining the hallway and they're saying, come on in, come on in. And people are being guided through velvet ropes, just like a guided tour all the way through the Capitol. And so it's, it's, it's really a, a terrible thing that some of these people are being charged with trespassing when they were invited in. Right. And I, you know, that'll, those will probably go away and be dismissed, I hope, because it's just a travesty that that would even, people would even have to face that kind of, um, uh, you know, legal action. So anyway, I make it very clear to the New York Times, very clear that I could have gone in. I was standing right by the back doors. They were letting people in and out, um, but I chose not to. Because I really, I saw the broken windows and that really made me go, I don't, if, if I didn't see the broken windows, I probably would have gone, sure, I'll go in and check it out. But I was like, ah, this feels fishy and I don't know what's going on here. Um, and I, and I was hoping, I'm like, God, I hope none of my crew goes inside. That's why I, one of the reasons I was trying to get a hold of them. I hope they're smart enough not to go inside. And so none of us did. But yet I tell New York Times this, they write in a hit piece against me saying, Willis lied and said he didn't go in the Capitol, but he did for a short period complete lie and it's obvious because the fbi has released um screen grabs of everyone that was caught on surveillance video inside the capitol and you see these you know these posters of all these faces and i'm not on there and um but new york times wants to say that then then vice does a hit piece on us and they get everything wrong they're trying to set up this narrative 
there's someone here, I, you know, in Texas who is looking at buying a few hundred acres of, of property to create a, it's a high end, you know, luxurious kind of a spa thing with eco-friendly homes. And, but he wants to create, uh, you know, this, this housing development where people can be sovereign. They can have their own water so that if we have the, the craziness that just happened a month ago where everyone's worried, are, like, are the power going to go out? Are we going to have water? Are we going to have food supplies? Someone's being major... intelligent. I heard about that, actually, because yeah. I have a yeah, lot well, of friends in, in, Tex- in Austin, especially where you live. Yeah. yeah. I think that's yeah. a wise idea, but now I want to hear how they manipulated that. So, so our friend has a presentation where he's going to, uh, he has a, a election night party is what he has. And during the party, he presented to everyone his vision. Uh, It was at the person's house who's heading the project. Um, He presents the vision of this, of this housing development and lets everyone know, you know, we want to create a situation where we have our own medical situation, where we have our own education. So our kids can be educated, kind of homeschooled, but not, you know, but, but with parents who care and, and just be sovereign, just have our, you know, just to be, have our own ability to say, you know, we have, we have alternative energies here. We have our own food that we're growing. If there's a food shortage, which there will be on a side note, it was just revealed that Bill Gates is now the largest owner of farmland in the U S why would that be? Cause the man's going to control the food supply. Watch what happens in the next well, few yeah, years. I know all about that. That's why I encourage you to read oneness versus the 1% by Von Donna Shiva. Cause she, yeah, I know she it. opens him very yeah. thoroughly, and I think everybody needs to read that book, Oneness versus the 1%. Everyone needs to understand what, what, what those few elite people are really up to and why they're gobbling up all the land, and why China's, China's buying millions of acres of land. They're buying the Bahamas, they're creating a military base there, and they're offering five to ten times more than any of these properties are worth, so people are selling it to them. And we need to pay attention to this. It's a very serious thing in this nation. Yes. But but back onto the vice piece. So we, we show up, a friend is saying we're going to have an election night party, and then he, he presents. I say a few words about my next film that I'm going to produce, and he presents this, this, you know, this um, housing development thing that he's doing. Vice comes out, they they say it's at someone's house that's th- this guy doesn't even have a house right now he like i think he lives <laughs> in a motor home um they they mentioned people like jp sears and people that they said were there weren't even there um they they make it a big deal and it's all because marla maples who used to be um married to trump was there and she is a wonderful person i met her about 12 years ago um, there was a reunion for um, uh, 9-11, and because I was at the World Trade Center on 9-11 and was there in service to recovering bodies for three days, there was a, an event in, in Seattle, and I met Marla on stage. We were hosting a 9-11 um, reunion kind of a thing uh, uh, to just support the people who had died and, and all the people who risked their lives, and, and she was the co-host on stage with me, and that's the first time I met her. And we, we maintained a friendship ever since. I didn't care who she was married to or what. I just know she was an incredibly kind, sweet, compassionate person. And she was passing through Texas. And I said, do you want to come? We're having this little gathering. It'd be super. She was looking for a new place to live, actually. She, she ended up in Florida. But I said, you should come. It's a great way to see the caliber of people that are here. Very diverse, different political backgrounds, um, but really upstanding, loyal, good people. So she shows up to the party. And, um, and the person's who, whose house it was had said, Marla, do you want to give some kind of a prayer? 
So Marla got up and she said a prayer. And now keep in mind, she has a daughter with Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. So she was saying a prayer for the father of her daughter. And I'm sitting there listening to it going, it's beautiful. But at the same time, yeah, you know, it's like what she is standing for might appear that that's what this party's about. So I took it upon myself when she was done to say, that was beautiful. Thank you. And I just want everyone to know, we're not all here praying for Donald Trump. We're here praying for our nation. And, and I made that super clear. And so I just want to be clear. So I don't want to alienate anyone who might be here, who might, you know, not, you know, not want to be associated with, with that, but to know that we're here to hold the space for the best outcome for our nation. And, and, you know, I don't remember what else I said, but that was really the, the gist of it. And it was a beautiful event. Um, and so Vice had turned that into this whole thing with all these conspiracy, you know, cons- um, conspiracy theorists who gathered up and people that weren't even there at someone's house who doesn't even have a house um, and turned it into this big, you know, weird cultish ceremony where Marla Maples prayed for Donald Trump. And it's just like, they're so desperate. And they're particularly desperate right now because, you know, having Trump around to, um, to, to drive their ratings daily, these people, you know, they're, as soon as he was done, their ratings plummeted because they no longer have that sensational story every day to, to, um, feed to the people who were rabidly against Trump. And so now they're going, okay, where do we find it? And unfortunately, you know, they're finding it with some people that I, that are really good people, um, and that don't deserve that kind of, um, that kind of tabloid, uh, uh, live slander. That's the thing. It's, it's tabloid garbage. And the, uh, problem as I'll get into later with you is that people actually read this kind of trash journalism and take it as fact, which is just, you know, it really makes me sad that, that one of the problems that we have in this country and certainly many others is that people can't discern, discern, uh, legitimate journalism or science or anything from false stuff. And they just grab a hold of it. And next thing you know, it, the grapevine is alive and Mickey Willis is the devil and whatever else, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a strange place to be, Paul. And I have to tell you, it's a very, it's a very, very strange place to be when, especially those who know me very well, I've had a lot of, I mean, these are the moments when you find out who your friends are. I've had a lot of very good friends reach out to me that were like, okay, I get it now. If, if the media and people will, say that about you, someone I've known for 20, 25 years, and I know your heart. I know what you're about. I know that you're driven by the protection of children. You've been this way for 15 years plus, particularly since you've had children. Um, And to see what's being written about you, to see how quick people who don't know you. And and here's another subject that I really am going to address someday, Paul, because you'll, you'll get it because you, you dance on the fringe of this, of, of this culture. It's got to be addressed, but the people who have been the most hateful, the most vile, are the people from what I would consider to be the, the ones who would call themselves the conscious community. Really? The yogis. Well, yes, they can be very staunch. The vegetarians, uh, <laughs> the 
they have been, and, and I've had a lot of people reach out just going, I can't believe what's happening to our community, my yoga, our meditation community, or whatever. Like, they're so, what happened to We Are One? What happened to In Lakesh? What happened to Namaste? <laughs> what happened to yoga? It means you union. Know? <laughs> yeah, like, like and, and I would have people reach out to me well, long before the Capitol thing happened that would say, um, we need you to go online and condemn Donald Trump. And I would say, what, what? Like, I, I don't, I don't choose to do that. Why, why do you think I need to do that? Because people are confused and they're, they're thinking you're a Trump supporter. And, and I said, well, I'm not, and I'm not because I learned after, after Obama, who I cried when the man was sworn in. And then I couldn't believe the amount of new wars and and things that were happening that he said wouldn't happen after my time traveling with Bernie Sanders and, and seeing a different character on the road that I saw on TV going, it's enough for me to say, I, I will never again, when people would say who are you voting for? I said, I don't vote for a who I vote for a what yes. I only now just go, I don't even want to listen to the people speak because they're such salesmen. They're such yeah. spin artists, all of them, um, that I, I only want to look at what are their policies what are they doing? What do they say they're going to do on the campaign trail? And how much of it are they actually accomplishing? And l- let's look at their executive orders and all the policies and start looking at that. And when I did that, there's a lot of reasons uh, of why I would say Trump isn't my kind of guy, right? So I don't want to even look at the persona, the identity politics. I just want to go, hey, wait a minute here. And I started to look at things and I went, this is the some of this stuff is the stuff I thought Obama was going to do for people of color, like prison reform happened. Obama promised that for eight years; it never happened. That was one of the most racist bills that was actually written by Joe Biden and, and established by Bill Clinton, and it disproportionately uh, imprisoned brown and black men all over uh, this nation. Um, it you know harshly criminalized crack where and it, and it decriminalized cocaine, so you could be caught with a the same amount of crack as a, as a white man's caught because, you know, they, they say cocaine's a white man's drug and, and, and crack is a minority drug because it's, it's a cheaper form of cocaine. And so you could be caught with the same amount for the same purpose. And the black man goes to prison and the white man um, gets probation. Yeah. And literally, we watched this happen over the course of years where thousands of brown and black men were imprisoned. And it was something very dear to me. And he, and he did that. Now, he probably did it for ego reasons, just to spite Obama and to show that it was possible. But it doesn't matter. It was done. Then there was these other things about, you know, school choice and busing kids out of, out of you know, uh, troubled neighborhoods um, so that they could have the, the school and education of their choice. And, and that's wonderful. Um, and then there was the, you know, uh, the act, uh, uh, what was it called? The um, Opportunity Zones, where he incentivized... In, people with money to invest in inner cities and, and, and places that were, you know, known as ghettos. There were a lot of things that I went, if I'm just looking at policy wise, that's, those are really great. I'm really happy that this man did that. Mm-hmm. Um, there were even a couple of environmental policies like the trillion trees act, you know, which we've always said as environmentalists, it's like, why don't we get busy planting trillions of trees? They're the things that suck down the CO2 and the carbon and, and like plant more trees. And so he actually did that. Then he did the Save Our Seas Act and, and started putting millions of dollars annually into getting the plastics out of our oceans. And, and I went, I can't, while I don't, there's many things I don't like about the, the man, I don't feel the need to go out and criticize because everyone in the world is doing it right now. Um, 
I'm just not going to do, I'm very cautious and I don't even say I'm support him, but I'm looking at actually what's happening here. And I'm saying, I'm going to practice that thing that I learned through all of my spiritual practice, which is to walk the talk. Yeah. And amen. I'm not, I'm, and I'm, and I'm not going to go out and slander another person, even, even if he's worth slandering. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to amplify all this hatred. I'm going to, and so people kept asking me several times, people reached out and said, we need you to go out online and condemn Donald Trump. And I said, this, this feels weird. This feels communistic. This is like, you're, you're, you, you won't settle until I say something you want me to say. That just feels weird. And so the stubborn part of me was just like, ah, even though there's things I would love to actually go out and criticize Donald Trump for, I'm just not going to do it in general now because now it feels like I'm being forced to do something or you won't like me anymore or you won't support me or whatever. And I don't really care right. if, if I have your support. So it w- became a very strange thing, Paul, that there was so much pressure on this. You know, and people would say, well, people, your film is uh, cl- clearly a QAnon shared your film and made it viral. And I'm like, I don't even know anything about QAnon. I've never followed QAnon. I've never read what they call a Q drop. I had one researcher, part of my team, that that did very much follow Q, and he would constantly say, "You need to read this." And I'd say, "No." And one day he said, "Why won't you read one thing?" You know, for, and I said, "I said because it's an unverifiable source, first of all, mm-hmm. and it's that's I'm very very strict regarding my research protocol, and if I can't verify who is saying." this information. I, I, I don't pay any attention to it. Secondly, I want to be able to say honestly, when people say, am I a Q follower, that I know nothing, very little about it. Right. And I used to be able to say I know nothing about it, but now just from people talking about it and all of that, I, I get the general concept and I saw some, some, I don't know if I want to call it a documentary, but some documentary that featured a, a part in it. And I thought there was a, just absurdity around a lot of the Q stuff, you know, but whether it's true or what, I don't know. But I said, yeah, if anything's going to be a psyop to really confuse people, it's this anonymous stuff. I don't like when mainstream media does it when they're like anonymous source, source says Mickey Willis is a, it's like, who said it? Right. And if they're not willing to step forward and say it, then don't use their information. And so I've never followed Q. And yet people would say, people think you're a Q follower and all that. I said, well, I can't, I can't, nothing I can do about that because I'm, I'm just not, it's just the truth. And so if they want to say that, and how do you feel about Q sharing your stuff? I'm like, I say, thank you. I don't, you know, you know because what I'm sharing, the people need to know. So whoever shares it, right? I, I thank you for helping get the word out. I, but I, but I don't have a judgment. On, and I don't condemn them because they shared my film. Thank you for sharing my film. But I have no part of that organization. I ne- and I never have, and I, and, I, and I never will have a part of any organization like that. Um, and, and so, you know, I, and I also want to make clear that because people have said online that I'm, I'm anti, you know, certain things, anti-Black Lives Matter, not true at all. I, I mean, the, and the people that are saying this is like, when you have the amount of years behind you that I have in supporting people of color, native people, indigenous cultures, and all of that, which I've been doing well over 15 years, come and see me, you know, cause the, the, the action speaks louder than words. But what I have said in certain podcasts is I have said, I've criticized some of the black lives matter choices that they've made. And I've been very suspicious about who's funding them and who's 
trying to infiltrate them to actually use people of color that will ultimately damage people of color. Right. And, and that's, a lot of that's happening. Yeah. And, and I can say the same. A lot of it's happening. And, and so I've been critical about that. I'm also critical about um, Antifa, although I would be on first one on the front line fighting fascism. But I'm not for, you know, the way that they've destroyed Portland and burned down their, their federal court building and, and the people who've been shot and killed and stabbed. And, and um, I'm not for things like blocking freeways, you know, taking, you know, I understand it gets media attention, but, but, you know, I always think, you know, who could be in this four hour line of traffic now that these protesters have stopped? There could be women in, in, in labor. There could be people needing to rush to the hospital. And you're taking your anger out on the innocent citizens and you're stopping them. You're creating a traffic jam that will now have them unable to get home to maybe pick up their kids from daycare, whatever it is. Or a toilet. It's, <laughs> exactly. Whatever it is. It's, I'm just not a fan of that kind of protesting well, at it's, all. It's immature. It's just all it is is, is uh, it's a lack of awareness of what actually brings people together. Yeah. And some people will say, well, that's what we need to do. Otherwise people won't listen to us. And, and, and I like to say to those people, you're more creative than that. Yeah. Amen. You find another way, find another way that you can gain that kind of media attention. There's a lot of ways to do it, um, without, without harming innocent people. Absolutely. Hi everybody. I'm sure you've all heard of the benefits of bone broth, but I bet you don't know about bone broth protein powder. I found an awesome bone broth protein powder with Paleo Valley, and I asked Autumn Smith if she'd explain why hers is so good from Paleo Valley. Well, like you said, collagen is basically the fountain of youth, and most of us are not getting enough of it in our diet because maybe we don't have time to simmer bones on a regular basis. And so we created our powder to make getting the benefits of collagen for your joint health, for your gut health, for your mental health, really, really simple. And we sourced it from 100% grass-fed and grass-finished bones. So it is a beef bone broth protein powder that you can literally put in everything. It's tasteless. I add it to my son's smoothies. I put it into his desserts. You can even put it in soup and get all the benefits of collagen without all of the time and energy and investment. So all you have to do to check it out is go to our website at paleovalley.com. That's P-A-L-E-O-V-A-L-L-E-Y.com. And you can use the code CHECK15. That's lowercase C-H-E-K-15 at checkout. And I hope your family loves it. I know you'll love it. Keep your body healthy. Keep your kids healthy. And let's make the world a better place with Paleo Valley. Enjoy. Hi, everybody. I've looked into magnesium supplements in my many years as a therapist and found, unfortunately, most of them are junk. Until the day Wade Lightheart handed me his magnesium breakthrough from Bioptimizers, which is a very, very specialized product that they did a lot of research on. Wade, I'd love it if you could tell us a little bit about what makes magnesium breakthrough so unique and so potent. Well, number one is that we realized that. Different types of magnesium are absorbed by different parts of the body. So we tested virtually every magnesium product there was on the market, and it came down to seven different ones that produced the best 
aspects or best effects over the broadest amount of people. We combine them without any weird excipients or, you know, some of the chemical agents that other companies use. We don't use any of that stuff. And we combined it with humic and fulvic acid as well as B6 to make sure that it's absorbed and utilized by the body. That's excellent. I really love it because one of the things I love about all your products is I can actually turn people on to them. They buy them. And I've never had a single person say to me, those products don't work. Everybody that I know has continued to buy Bioptimizer's products to enhance their life. Where can people get it and what's their discount? Just go to www.magbreakthrough.com slash living4d and put in your coupon code Paul10 and you get a 10% discount. And of course, everything has a 100% money back guarantee. You can't get better than that. Enjoy. Did you know that symbiotica means harmony? And... You're really likely to enjoy my podcast with Sherveen Jaffariah, the founder of Symbiotica. Symbiotica is an amazing company that makes excellent products to aid healing, enhance longevity, and improve performance at all levels of your being, from your spiritual practices to your athletic endeavors. I highly recommend you go to symbiotica.com and check out their top-notch organically sourced products that include excellent tasting supplements like their Synergy Vitamin B12, which elevates energy naturally, to their Shilaje Minerals, which help you better regulate your hormonal system. Their biocharge-activated coconut charcoal is an excellent detox support and removes toxins and poisons from the body quickly and non-invasively. Their organic longevity formula is one of my friends and students' favorites. They rave about it. I really enjoy their Regenesis liposomal glutathione for its amazing antioxidant powers, which is really helpful for anyone that enjoys vaporizing tobacco and herbs like I do. They also have great immune support products, water filtration options for drinking and showering, and some cool clothing and more. When you go to C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A dot com and use your Living 4D discount code, which is capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K, 15 on checkout, you get 15% off anything they sell and you won't be disappointed. Enjoy Symbiotica. Before we forget, um, you segued off of the story right when you started talking about the FBI getting involved and what happened with you. So could you finish that? Because I think that's an important piece of the story. Sure. So, you know, because people were tagging this fake meme saying that I was chanting hang Mike Pence and, and over and over tagging the FBI, um, they reached out to me, which which I now understand they reached out to just about everyone who was there, hundreds and hundreds of people. Um, but they... So I had to, you know, I had to hire some attorneys and, and, and we had to speak to the FBI and basically, you know, they're just like, why, why are people tagging you and sharing this meme? And my, you know, my attorney was the first to say, you know, one thing I can guarantee, guarantee you is my, um, you know, my attorney said, I, because I've been a, I've been a U.S. attorney, I'm a former U.S. attorney and I've dealt with a lot of people. And, and one thing I want you to know is this person is not a threat. They're a very stand up citizen. Um, um, and I can guarantee you, I've seen the video that, that he did not participate in the hang Mike Pence chant. And the FBI said, yeah, we've already seen the video and we've already gathered that. And matter of fact, we, we saw the moment where he was yelling at people to not push and to, to be violent. So we're, we're kind of confused as to why so many people are tagging him on this meme. And well, of course you got the people who want to see me go down because they think that what I've done with pandemic is dangerous. They still listen to the mainstream media. They don't understand that's where the danger lies. Um, and so, but then the, the FBI, you know, said something interesting to my attorney. He said, um, <clears throat> we also want to know, 
his purpose for moving to Texas. And that's when my attorney got a hold of me and said, that's, some, that's odd that they're, that they're interested in that. He goes, any idea why they might be interested in that? And it took me about a week. And, and one day it just hit me like a bolt of lightning. I went, oh, I did a podcast where I mentioned this housing development. Because I was basically, in the context of this podcast I did, I said, well, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of beauty happening as a result of, of these lockdowns and, and COVID and everything. I said, and I think it's, we'll look back on this in a few years and, and we'll understand that it was a, a great awakening. And I said, for example, you know, like there's this housing development that's being created here and there's all these parents and, and you know, these people are doctors and lawyers. It's it very, uh, you know, it's, it's, these aren't, you know, these aren't your run-of-the-mill trailer park people, and and they're very serious about creating uh, um, an environment where where they can ensure that their children will eat and be educated and all of that. Um, and I said that's a real promising thing. I think we're not this this group that's doing it here is not the only group that's doing it. It's going to pop up around the world where people understand that they need to be off the grid that the government owns because now we see, you know, for years, Paul, I've I've been scratching my head as an environmentalist because. I learned that all these different territories around the U.S. prevent people from catching their own rain, or they'll limit how much they can catch, um, or they, they they don't incentivize people to have solar or whatever. They they don't want it. And no, part no. of me goes, this is you know I never could figure it out because I'm like, on one hand, all they're saying is be afraid because we're about environmental collapse. We're about to hit envir- environmental collapse and. And it's it's all the pollution and the uh, the power usage, and we need to go alternative energies and electric cars. And on one hand, they're saying this, but then when the citizens step forward to go, great, I'm going to go off the grid, which w- was something that I was into about ten years ago. It's like they don't make it easy on you; they don't want you to go off grid. And I always thought, I don't get that. The pandemic showed us why, because when there were when when you know mom and pop shops said, you know, we're going to open our diner. The, then the city said, "Go, go for it, and we'll shut off your water, and we'll shut off your power, and you, you will not be able to operate." Right. And I went, "Oh, so it's control. They want us on the the the, the government yeah. controlled grid." I yeah. get it. I had mentioned in a podcast one time. I said, "You know that," uh, and this was a Texan, uh, uh, so he really got it because he he had made some kind of lighthearted jokes about, you know, don't California. I said, all my liberal friends, you know, I'm not, the only, they're all moving here, as you know, and something came up, you know, which always does like, just don't California, my Texas, you know, don't bring all your, what's not working there and then bring it here and vote the same way and create the same policies where we're going to end up like California in 10 years. And I, so I said, no, I said, you have to understand the people that are leaving that they're leaving it for a really good purpose. And I, and they're really hardcore. I said, I said, we were all anti-gun and I said, and now everyone's learning how to shoot and buying guns and wanting to learn how to hunt and, and, you know, and, and, and I use the terminology of, you know, people are taking tactical training which is what it's called. Yes, it is. But it's, it's, it's just, it's just learning how to shoot. It's going to the range and it's called tactical training, but, but it hit me. I went, Oh God, Texas, Waco, these people probably, I can imagine that people probably reached out to the FBI that heard that podcast and said, these guys are creating a Waco or something like that. Yeah. So I, 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 I got the investment deck for this housing development, which we're, I'm not even, my wife and I are not even involved anymore. We, we got a house someplace else and we're super happy, uh, where we are. And so we're not even involved in that anymore. Um, but I got, I had the investment deck and I, and I sent that to the FBI and I, and to my attorney first, he read it and he goes, 
you got to be kidding me. He said, this is, yeah, I, yeah let me get this over to them. He said, because this is like a high-end eco-resort, you know, and, and, and then so he got a hold of the FBI and he said, I, I think, I know why you asked that question about why Mickey chose to move to Texas. And he told him, and, and they go, bingo. And they said, well, here's, here's that development. And they went, oh, well, all right. Well, we'll probably just close this case. Yeah. Because there's, well, no, there's no threat there. No, you know, yet people are using video of things I said in DC and they're not realizing what I said at the beginning of this podcast. They're not realizing if they assume that I'm talking about Trump and the insurrectionist, what I said sounds bad. Mm -hmm. If they can understand nothing, I said, listen to my 20 minute talk. I don't mention Trump. I don't mention politics in that way. I don't mention voting fraud. I mentioned none of that. I'm talking strictly about health and our, our, the need for all, pe all citizens to unite. And, um, and yet, when they take what I had said out of context, like the New York Times did, and they, they put a snippet of a video in there, it appears that I'm saying, yay, like we just, we just breached the Capitol and this is what we need to do to take our nation back. No, I was actually saying the moment when people were being held hundreds of yards even from the Capitol and the use of civil language had the police open up and allow them to approach the Capitol like every other protest group has ever done in my lifetime, I, I cheered that on and I said, yes, this is the way, whether I agree with what the people were there to say or not, this is what democracy looks like and everyone deserves to have their voice heard at what they call our house. Like they go, the Capitol building, that's our house. That's where we, you know, we hired these people, we elected them, we pay for this with our tax dollars. We should at least have a voice here. And I agree with that. Even if I completely disagree with a lot of the protests that have happened at the Capitol, I still say you got to listen to the people. Well, that's what freedom of speech is all about. Yeah. Um, I was going to read this later, but because you uh, have a limited amount of time today, um, where it was going to come in my outline is a little later. But because of all this discussion on the media, um, there's something I want to read. And I've been studying this type of work for many, many years in my career. But I'm doing some research for my new book right now, and I'm reading a book called Egregores, The Occult Entities That Watch Over Human Destiny. You know, occult means, for those that aren't familiar with the word secret knowledge, a lot of people think it's a negative, but it's, it's, it's like anything. There's positives and negatives of it. Every religion has its occult teachings. But I want to share this so that people can have more of an awakening of what it means when you're got your eyes glued to some of these media outlets. So an egregore is a thought form. So for example, if someone is a white supremacist, then they're all acting under the thought form that encapsulates that ism or ideology. Nazism was under the egregore or thought form called Nazism and contains all the beliefs and behaviors inclusive of that ism. So here he says, egregores can be as simple and familiar as the icons of patriotism, such as the uniformed soldier, the singing of the national anthem at a football game, the political rally or speech with the candidate or official surrounded by flags. Arlington Cemetery, the Washington Mon Monument, the Jefferson Memorial, the White House or the Capitol. 
For many, these will be considered positive images, whether the culture is American as above or French with the Eiffel Tower, the British with the House of Parliament or the Russian or in Russia or Russia with the colorful Kremlin all serve to rally citizens to a love of country, alliance with each other and embrace their shared cultural heritage and history. In other words, union with the national egregore, the national, the idea or the Con- the consciousness of nationalism. On the negative side of the patriotic egregore, we have the Nazi swastika and the rallies of an enthusiastic and hypnotized mass of people shamelessly accepting the ravings of a lunatic. Today, we have examples of North Korea and Iran to remind us of the dangers of manipulation against the population's best interest and currently against the greater values of the political liberty and spiritual freedom. The egregores erected and sustained by tyrants have a mysterious ability to fascinate people, to almost fill the starving bellies created by the concept of their leaders to the influences that fervored brains of a suicidal crop of martyrs as they march over half, uh, march over the cliff to their own deaths like a gathering swine. I'm, oh, oh, like gathering swine. It's, I don't have good enough light here to read, but I'm doing my best. In the case of Iran, it is politically disturbing because the Iranians, uh, because, uh, because were Iranians to embrace the historical national egregore, they would celebrate a culture and civilization as old as humankind, one that produced the likes of Omar Kayam and Shams E. Tabriz, Tabriz, who was Rumi's teacher, a history whose elegance and refinement stands as a testament to the spiritual power of people everywhere. Think now of the symbols of commercial egregores that infest modern life. Take Coca-Cola, for instance. Oh, excuse me, with which you can rot your teeth and expand your belly with the illusion of sophistication, refreshment, and invoke the epidemic of diabetes. This is virtually in any country in the world or Marlboro cigarettes, those, those iconic, the, the iconic cowboy that embodied that rough and tough frontier of masculinity before succumbing to the rages of lung cancer. Then there's the golden arches of McDonald heralding obesity and ill health with its fox meat and uh, rock bottom prices mirrored only back uh, only by its lack of nutritional value or how about the smiling faces of debt crazed credit card addicts as they proudly display their visas and mastercards prior to the inevitable kitchen table bill paying ordeal 4 weeks later here's the juicy part communication egregores are built with symbols like the rainbow peacock nbc strutting and fretting its hour upon the stage of fake news or the omniscient eyeball CBS whose command of truth was long ago sacrificed to the siren call of political propaganda. I am old enough to remember the disdain with which the Soviet Prada state-controlled newspaper was held in America. Also, I am young enough to have seen eight years of adulation, and shameless fawning over time 
over one regimen favored by the media and the subsequent hatred and frothing at the mouth over another, which it despises. The mantra of New York Times, all the news that's fit to print, is a lie whose object is incitement and the propagation of insane myths and irrational politics designed to steer a proud national legacy into the oncoming pathway of a Mack truck of globalism and cultural self-destruction. Religious egregores built over thousands of years are still capable of indoctrinating people everywhere. What it is that gives power to the crucifix, whose doctrine of original sin and obedience to the appointed hierarchy guides so many people into so much unhappiness. So he's saying, what is it with the crucifix and the doctrine of original sin and the appointed hierarchy that guides so many people to unhappiness? The crescent and the star are symbols of teaching that taken to its lowest level taps into the group mind that includes suicide, murder, murder, female gender mutilation, and the embrace of collectivism dictating everywhere from breathing to breakfast. The six-pointed star and its associated doctrines of separation and victimhood while clinging to the status of God's chosen people. So what I'm trying to point out here, if it's not blatantly obvious, is that these vehicles of dissemination of thought forms, which are also called memes, and some of you listening may remember Richard Dawkins' Famous statement, memes have no respect for genes and his self book, The Selfish Gene. And so why I'm bringing this up is that the idea that memes have no respect for genes can clearly be spelled out with the slogan, things go better with Coke. Anybody with just a couple of brain cells holding hands know that that's not true. And so my point here is that we all have to be very conscious that just because we read something or see it on television does not make it true. And like you said, if you cannot track the source, then you have no way to investigate what their mission, vision, motive, values, beliefs, or actions really are. So we're we're now faced with an egregore. We're faced with an illusory embodiment of an energy that infects the psyche well, like somebody who has a walk-in or somebody who has a is is possessed. And so when you you know Jung spoke about this extensively, and so I'm going to jump forward in our questionings because Jung warned, and so did Joseph Campbell and many of the other great mythologists and people that have studied the history of how people's belief systems change and what happens. But Jung warned, as did Joseph Campbell, as has James Hillman and many other great minds in psychology and psychiatry and social health, that whenever the myth of a culture begins to break down, a counter-myth emerges. And what we're seeing right now is that there's an emergence of a counter-myth, but during that transition, very few people actually know what the new myth is because only people that are open enough to receive the insights and the intuitions without the blockage of previous mind uh, egregores or or thought forms or or belief, closed belief systems can receive them. So classically, who receives 
the new myth are artists, poets, musicians, and jesters. And I think J.P. Sears is probably one of the most important people out there as a jester because he's asking us all to, to look carefully at what we're buying into. But I he's, agree. But he's doing it in a very humorous way that helps us laugh at ourselves and see ourselves and hopefully embrace ourselves. I think it's very, very important, whether it be religion. I mean, for example, when people get caught in one religion, they can have such intense views about what God wants or how things have to be that they're willing to kill other people. Yet one of the Ten Commandments of Christianity is thou shalt not kill, for example. So what happens is people actually get so much in this unconscious fervor, they start going against their own belief system and destroying other belief systems, not realizing that they're doing everything but what the founder of that religion would have wanted them to do. For example, Jesus Christ in this case. That's right. So I just am sharing this. Sorry, I'm not very good at reading out of a book. And my wife has all the shades closed in here because when the sun shines through the window, it, it washes me out. But I think it's time for us all, having listened to you, Mickey, to realize that we have to be more discerning. So Mickey, if, if you could share a few thoughts as an investigative journalist, what are some tips you can give us all to help us have more of a filtration system that's healthy so that people can walk away from this conversation saying, okay, here's a few key ways I can analyze a piece of information to determine whether or not it's worth investing any of my conscious energy or my sense of needing to protect, defend, or support or otherwise. Yeah, thank you. It's a really great question. Um, the thing that I do when I ingest information is I have to be aware of my own biases. Of course. And, so, yes. and, the, and the way that I can detect those biases is how do I respond or react emotionally when I receive the information? So in other words, I'm reading something and I go, yeah, 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 that's, I, that's what I wanted to hear. And I have to go, oh, okay, be careful now, because now <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm now driving my inquiry by what I want to feel and hear. Yeah. And I have to be careful with that. I have to step back a little bit and go, you know, if I were to learn that it was the opposite answer, I wouldn't be as excited. So I have to be careful now, because now I've just identified, like, I really want it to be this answer. And, and what we typically do, because everything we do in life, I mean, really everything we do in life, um, is it's kind of like, uh, you know, the whole rat park experiment where it was like the rats hit the levers and get a little dose of cocaine or sugar or whatever. They, they go the till they kill was. themselves. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, we're constantly looking for a dopamine fix, right? So yeah. it's, it's why we love food. It hits our taste buds and it's like, we want yummy food, sex, you know, entertainment, movies, we, we want to be drugs, all of it. Right. And so we, we want a dopamine fix. And so one of the things that we, that we receive that fix from these days is confirmation, right? Mm -hmm. They call it confirmation bias. So the moment we go, ah, I knew it, they were wrong and I'm right. It feels good. Mm -hmm. Right. I have the data and I can prove them wrong. And I, and I always have to be careful with that. So I always have to go, okay, look at how much of me now is in this message that I want to serve. 
and and I need to step back and I need to find some kind of balance and collect myself and stay open to the idea that even though this answer feels good, let me now go to the other side and find the other answer and really weigh them together without any kind of emotional reaction to, to, to really get to a point of going, maybe the truth is somewhere in the middle, or now that I've read both sides, that thing I, I want to be, the answer I want to have is actually probably not it. It's, it's the one I don't want. And, and let me be honest enough to know that every time I share honestly, whether it supports my view of the world or what I want or gives me a dopamine fix or not, um, I'm actually helping people and I'm helping myself. And so we have to be careful. We tune into these news stations, as we said at the top of this podcast, you know, like, you know, kind of being blown away that people still are tuning into these news stations. But the reason people really do it is because they're getting a dopamine fix. They know they lie, but they want to be lied to. So it's kind of like, keep lying to me because that lie feels good somehow. It gives me some kind of security in my realm to feel like I'm on the good side. I've, I've made good choices. I'm safe. Uh, I'm with the side that's winning. That gives me security, whatever it might be. Instead of just stripping all that away and saying, I want the truth. I want the truth no matter how it feels. I want the truth no matter how, how it appears or sounds or any of that. I just want to know what's actually happening in my world because I know, I know as a father that I, I can't help guide my children through this very precarious experience we call life if I don't have some idea of what is false and what's real. Right. And so I take being a father very seriously. And and I want to know what's real because I want to be able to tell my kids what's real. So when they merge into the world, they're very young right now, but when they merge into the world, they have some idea of of which direction to head, where this where where their dreams are, where their passions are, where the da- dangers and where the safety lies. And so I, you know, in answer to your question, I think people need to um to in the same way the media needs to drop this, we want to be first, you know, uh, you know, this always about being first. Instead of it being so rapid, slow down a little bit. Hear what they say and I I'll th- there's an old you you might even know this this little um um what a fable but there was a fable about um I remember it was somebody's child went off to war uh they got yes i do know lost a leg about. and, and yep. it, it's a, it, basically the, the 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 fable always comes back to the father saying perhaps well he said is that so is that so is that so? Yeah, yeah your, exactly. your your son was lucky. He got, broke his leg and he didn't have to go to war. And his father says, ah, is that so? And then his son has something else happen to him. And his father says, ah, is that so? And it comes full circle. Exactly. Until you realize that all the things that you could have easily jumped on to say, you know, that's good, later turn out to be not so good. The things that looked good turn out to be, or or, or that looked that look bad turn out to be good. Right. And on that note, I would say to people, you know, um, ask yourself that question, you know, is it so? And even though 
all the media channels are reporting it. That means nothing. No. That just means, you know, we, we see these montages that Conan and O'Brien puts out annually where there's a laugh track to it. And it's all the news reporters saying, well, it's that time of year again when the Easter Bunny comes out and says, how you doing, kids? And then you see 200 different news anchors saying that same uh, obscure line, right. which informs us that they receive what their script yes. from a central headquarters and all the affiliates say the same thing. And that's what I call the illusion of truth. And so just because CNN, MSNBC, Fox, or CBC, whatever, uh, CBS are saying the same thing, it doesn't mean it's truth. It just means they're all following the script. Yeah. And so start and getting asking paid yourself, getting paid a lot of money to do it. So start asking yourself, like, is this so? How do I know that this is so? And here I see this meme of this person who they're suddenly calling. Because I had a lot of people, but I'm just so shocked. And, you you know, you, what happened to you is this very popular thing that people are, messages that I'm getting. What happened to you? And I'm like, I haven't changed at all. I've grown. I've, I've evolved. But the, the the stuff I used to be recognized for as a liberal dad a very liberal dad that made a video in 2015 that was like, I don't have control over my kid's sexuality. They're going to choose whatever they want to choose. And I want them to be, I just want them to be happy and loved. And, and I made this video that went super viral about allowing my boys to play with Barbie dolls. Cause I'm like, look, let them explore whatever they're interested in. Because the one thing's for sure is that the more we try to pigeonhole them to what we want them to be, the more they're going to rebel. Absolutely. And so let them choose their life, you know, to a certain degree. We have to be there to let them know that that's a cliff. You step off of it, you're dead. Yeah. But but other than that, you know, it's their choice of how they get to grow up. I'm still that guy. I still care about people of color and old people and children and 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 unity and equality and and all these things. I haven't changed. The world has changed. Yes. And people will say, well, you left the party. And I'm like, well, I'm to paraphrase a popular, you know, uh, uh, line cliche is no, the party left me. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's just, I, I'm still in the middle where I, where I am, where I can look at you know the good things and the bad things on the right, the good things and the bad things on the left. And I just want to make the highest choices in my life and in my family's life. I haven't, people keep asking, you know, what happened to you? And I'm like, nothing. I just, I woke up to the fact that I thought I was on the good side. And now I realize it's all corrupt and that we need to come together as the people. And that's all the message I've ever been saying. And if what I say happens to line up with Trump, well, that's just so he whatever. It, it just, that's not me promoting him. If what I have to say lines up with Biden, cool, because you know what? I've never been a fan of Biden. I've never been a fan of a man who's been in office for 48 years who has said the most bizarre things on camera, who has said racist things on camera, um, and a man who who did uh, disappointed me as the vice president when he was with Obama, someone I voted for once, not the second time. So I'm not a big fan of, a, 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 of Biden, but I'm also not going to hate Biden, mm -hmm. just like I refuse to hate Trump. I'm not going to go out and condemn him. Because I see it as he's the pilot of the plane that's carrying everyone I love. Yeah. And for me to wish harm on the pilot is wishing harm against everyone I love. I want him to succeed. I will give him the same level of, of, of uh, respect, of support, but I won't even pay attention to him. I can't stand listening to him talk just like I would, you know, a lot of times couldn't stand listening to Trump talk. 
it's like I don't listen to any of that. I just go, what's what's executive orders is he signing? And quite honestly, in two weeks that he's been, you know, the time that he's been in office, there's some scary stuff that he's signed that I don't agree with at all. So I'm really concerned about the the future of our nation. Um, and there's some really good stuff, and I'm going to celebrate those good things, and I'm going to hope he does more of those. Yeah. But I'm gonna I'm gonna support him as. Some people say, well, he's not the president because he's illegitimate and all that. And it's like he's sitting in the seat, in the pilot seat. So all, that's all I need to know to know that I don't want to wish that person harm because he's flying the plane that my family's on. And I'm going to support him. And so when the right comes to me to say, we want you to condemn Biden, I'm going to say the same thing. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to talk hate, hateful about him. I will say straight out, I don't, I'm not a big fan. And I'm not a big fan based upon his 47 years in 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 politics that I've I've been able to research and look at and go. There's not a a lot of stuff I look at that I go. I really love that he did this or he was the champion of this. There's been a lot of talk and a lot of things that didn't happen. So I'm concerned about him sitting in the position that he's in. But that doesn't mean I'm not going to support him. I want him to succeed. I wrote a list of things that I do my very best to practice and teach my students because in my holistic lifestyle coach training program, I teach them that they're going to be dealing with very complex people with very complex lives, complex health issues, mental issues, emotional issues, relationship issues. And so I tell them, you, you know, you really have to be careful to stay detached from the story and not get sucked into it. For example, I say, yeah. you might be hearing from a woman about how her husband is abusing her and all sorts of stuff. But until you've actually talked to the husband, you may not realize that he feels as bad or or more or has as much or more evidence that he's being abused. So you can all of a sudden having all sorts of negative feelings toward the husband and talking to the wife as though he's the bad guy, not realizing that you're actually now polarizing the situation and instead of being a holistic health professional, you're being uh, the opposite. So, so some of my tips that I've always gone by is follow the money, especially if anything says it's coming from scientific research at all, or if there's any anything being paid for. For example, when you're looking at a political campaign, find out who's funding it, because then you're going to find out what the beliefs and the motives behind it are. Yeah. Well, is the resource credible, right? If it's a paparazzi magazine or the kind that was reporting on you, then light it on fire and throw it in the trash. Um, is the study design effective? And if you don't know, then before you make a decision, ask somebody. Uh, the example I give my students in class is in my library. I, I got rid of them now, but I used to subscribe to 36 journals around the world and paid researchers to read them and look for key information for me. And each month I would get a report of which journal had which articles and they would highlight and tag the abstracts so that if I wanted to know more about centralizing a lumbar disc, I could quickly scan all the literature from the European medical system, the English, the British, uh, the uh, American, and even foreign medical systems and come to a consensus about what's the best way, mm -hmm. um, I would say to my patients, do you realize that for almost as long as medicine has been around, 
The medical system has consistently stated that exercise does not help back pain. And I would go to my library and I used to have over a hundred studies from peer reviewed journals citing that exercise didn't help back pain. And then I would say, now using the principles of program design, you've been taught through my institute, look at these studies and tell me what's wrong. And in seconds, they would say, well, of course they're saying that. They, the, the exercises they're using aren't even functional. They're using exercise equipment. Nobody functions that way. Nobody has to maintain their own center of gravity while they're sitting on a Cybex machine, for example. So I would say, look, the reason the medical system has this opinion is because they've been leaning on science designed by people that don't understand the science of exercise or human movement, but they call this scientific research. So you could easily fall into the trap if you don't know enough about study design. Who's paying the researchers? That's a big one. You start looking at soil science, for example, and you find that almost everybody that's promoting any kind of use of dangerous chemicals, herbicides, pesticides, rodenticides, fungicides, GMO crops are getting paid by the corporations that are selling this crap, yet it's being put out as unbiased science. What truth exists in the opposite view? So when I say no chemicals, go holistic, go organic, go biodynamic, I also say, why is it that people do use chemicals and are there any good farmers using them? In fact, I was raised by a father who is the president of our farming association, but he's what's called a mixed farmer and he has a degree in agriculture. And I would say to my dad, why are you using the chemicals? For example, chemical fertilizers. And he said, well, my belief is there's a little bit of benefit in science and there's a, uh, there's also benefit in the organic. And I try to use the best of both worlds to create a product. So the point I'm making is, it's just like you said, you can't already be so biased that you don't look into the opposite view. For example, I've looked into the opposite view on vaccinations very thoroughly. And so my result is, hey, I'm all for vaccinations, but let's just make sure that we're not getting the disease that we're trying to protect ourselves from or getting heavy metal poisoning or something else, because then you've just reduced the risk factor to getting sick to zero or to 100% because you just took the poison. Uh, On that note, Paul, Mm -hmm. I love what you're saying right now. This is a great example of why I think extremism is one of the most serious issues that we have to deal with in this nation and beyond. Because everything you're saying right now, there's nuance in everything. And what we have a tendency to do is see everything in black and white, literally, racially, but everything in black and white such that what your father did is instead of just going, oh, all chemical bad, he said, let let me, there's nuance in here. You know, um, perhaps there's a little bit of that that actually is in service to, you know, my, my, my highest vision of what I'm growing. And that is one of the most important things because we have a tendency to just go so extreme with our thoughts. Yes. Right. Which is why I was in DC, right? I wanted to go, this extremism is the problem is they're going to call everyone there an extremist. And a, and a white supremacist. And that's just not accurate. We have to understand that there's, there's nuance, variations of, of, of everything. And, and so, you know, even when it comes to, I used to be against, you know, stop every oil pipeline. And then I started really deeply studying it and realizing there are many third world countries that the only resource that has potential to actually bring them out of their poverty 
which means saving hundreds of thousands of lives, is the resource of oil. Then, then as soon as I learned that, I started then looking instead of just just instead of being an extremist and just going pipeline bad stop. Now it's pipeline. Be careful. Let's hold people accountable. Find a way to to responsibly extract, deliver, and burn, such that we don't kill all the jobs of the people who rely on on coal and oil and all of that, but to realize that to radically just stop something right now is going to kill hundreds of thousands of people. There's a transitional phase, and and as Michael Moore pointed out, shockingly, in the film that he produced um, called Planet of Humans, is is al- most alternative fuels and, and energies are just not there yet, such that they actually require even more petroleum and coal power to be to produce them. Yeah, and so that's just a reality that a lot of my environmentalist friends have woken up to, and so if that's the case, we're in a transitional phase right now that's going to require us to be uh, far less e- extremist in our viewpoint to say we ultimately want to phase out of this resource, but if we just cut it off, we're going to kill people. So let's find a way to to make that gradual process happen, such that it becomes a benefit for all involved, including, and how do, how do the enormous profits of these pipelines, perhaps even, how do the, like in some nations, they, the people get equity. And, and if they're in a territory for a certain radius uh, where they're extracting oil from the ground and, and some people are making billions of dollars on it, that money gets shared with the population. So how do we do this in a way where we go, yeah, I don't like the idea that just some, you know, big oil oligarchs are are making billions of dollars sucking the oil out of the place where I live and polluting my water and my air and all of this and they don't care. So how do we do it though in a way that isn't just stop, but it's it's like let's do it in a way to where we actually the profit of that benefits our territory. And we're super clear on holding the people accountable for the way they're extracting, delivering, and burning. And let's let's create systems that that make this resource far less uh, dangerous to the environment, with the understanding that our, our our ultimate goal is to phase out when the time is right. Yeah. But what we've done so radically, so it, it, so extreme, is we've just we've just seen bad outcome, and we go bad stop. And this is the same kind of mentality that people are using against me right now. They say a meme, and instead of just exploring it and doing their homework, they just go, oh, my God, you know, yeah, domestic terrorist. What does that do ultimately? Our language has been so abused, Paul, that for us, the way that we've used the word racist, Nazi, terrorist, these are extreme judgment upon extreme characters that the majority of the people who have been called racist in the past four years don't fit the bill. That's not who they are. No. The moment we start using this language so loosely, so irresponsibly, what then do we have? It weakens our our weaponry against the real racist, the real terrorist. Because now if everyone's that, now when we point out the person who is actually that, it means nothing. So it breaks down the strength of our language such that, and, and this is really the thing people are going to learn the hard way. I'm, I, I just know it, and it's unfortunate. But 
all these things that people are out there fighting for, the people that are out there sharing some crazy meme about me being a terrorist right now, that will come back to haunt you. That same kind of low-level reactive judgment will eventually come full circle and it will affect you. So be very careful about what you're doing towards other citizens right now because it will all be used against you. Everyone who championed the censorship of YouTube and, and, and Twitter and Instagram and all that, um, they championed it because they said, okay, because they're suppressing the, the white supremacist. And then it went, okay, now they're suppressing the, all conservatives. Okay, now they're suppressing all Republicans. And now there's a big fight going on because now the progressives are going, we're getting suppressed. And deplatformed <laughs> and demonetized. That's how it works. It's, it ultimately will affect all of us. So be careful what you vote for. That's why they Very say careful. what goes around comes around. That's exactly right. You know, it, it's a couple of things. I'll finish my list because I think these are important yeah. for people to discern. But listening to everything you're saying, and, and this is how I do my best to live my life. It really seems to me that we need to seriously embody one of the principles that is sort of infused in Taoism and Zen. And mm -hmm. I can summarize those philosophies in a very short statement. Not, not too much, not too little. Hmm. And that's right where we need to be. Not right. too much oil, not too little. Not too much uh, media, not too little, not too much sex and drugs and food and not too little. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, if we really meditate on how our lives would be different, if we didn't overdo or underdo, it's just like a good example is when you're disciplining a child, too much is destructive and not enough is destructive. Yeah. And you have, as a parent, you have to be conscious enough and present enough to find that middle ground where the discipline is received and the therapy is given, but the damage isn't done to the point that next, you know, 10 years later, you got a public shooting and it's your kid rebelling against dad's control. Yeah. To continue my list, what has history shown us? So whenever you're looking at an idea or a concept such as we should do this or we should do that, whether it be political or whether it be a new drug or a new vaccination or a new technology or a new religious idea, history is loaded with examples of what happened with almost every one of these types of things. So we can always just say, wait a minute, before I vote for anyone or spend my money on this. Is there anything in the historical record about what happens to people when they use that path? And then what has happened to those that have done this? What has happened to those that became communists? What has happened to those that uh, joined the Nazi party? What has happened to people that became racists or white supremacists or whatever? How does that affect their families? How does it affect the fabric of culture? How does it affect the world? How does it affect our sense of safety and security? Look at the alternative views. And a good example of this is, you know, I study a fair bit of cosmology. Einstein believed that there had to be an ether, something to hold the planets and the stars in place. And if you study metaphysics, the ether has been talked about for 
well over a thousand years. I'm probably up to three thousand. It's even mentioned in the Vedas, which are said to be 3,500 years old. But then when Michelson and Morley couldn't prove it, everybody just assumed that it wasn't there. But now current research comes back. And Einstein, before he died, even recanted his rejection of the ether and said, I was wrong. It has to be there. And now science is once again proving it's there. And the book that I shared with you, um, I think it's Electric Body, Electric Life by Eileen Day McCusick, gives us research showing, lo and behold, it's there. But we still have thousands and thousands of scientists around the world who outright reject it, even though the evidence using advanced technology shows it's there. And here's my final technique for critical thinking. Don't be lazy. (laughs) If you're too lazy to look it up, just say, my suspicion is, or my personal opinion is, but I haven't really looked into it yet. Yeah, good point. So these are just a few things that I personally would love, at least the listeners from my perspective, because many of them are my students. If we all practice those kinds of things, I think we will find out that there's some things that you just can't know the answers to because you can't dig up enough information, like an anonymous tip. Well, that doesn't really help much. Mm-hmm. unless all the rest of those things pan out to be true. For example, nobody knows if Jesus was really a man or not. They just believe it. But the reality of it is, if you look into what his teachings are, they're a high form of spiritual practice that very few people can practice. Yeah. So those that can are actually Christians. And that's why G- uh, Deepak Chopra produced the book called The Third Jesus, to say, look, if you really want to practice Christianity— it's one of the most radical philosophies there is out there. Here's what it looks like. And I think he did that because so many people calling themselves Christians were anything but following the teachings of Jesus. So I know you've got, uh, it's a, your anniversary today, and I want to make sure you have time to. 18 years today. Yeah. Happy anniversary. Thank you. How exciting. Thank and, you. And, uh, you know, today that really means something because the average marriage only lasts two and a half years and the average person's married three times in their lifetime. So, Well, it's 18, it's 18 year mark today of the day we met and we've been married for 10 years, but uh, yeah, but our 11 years. Oh God. Sorry, baby. So 10 or 11 years we've been married, but uh, we've been together 18 years and it's been an, just an absolutely incredible experience. I'm just blessed to have such an, an awesome wife who is also an incredible mother who uh, through all this hard times, I mean, it was really hard on my wife. You know, she was of reading course. stuff about me and, and, you know, she has some PTSD because of it. She was just like, I can't believe even some really dear friends that were posting stuff, her friends that were posting stuff about her husband and not having any idea what they were talking about. You know, it was really tough, but she just stands right there and she's just like, you know, she'll use the power of alchemy to turn things around and just, you know, keep our kids happy. And, and, uh, I just, I honestly don't know what I would do without this woman. She's, uh, my wife, Nadia, she's just an extraordinary person. I'm just so, so fortunate that I get to share my life with her. Yes. I'm very blessed too. Cause as you are probably very aware, I've pioneered a lot of things. And whenever you're a pioneer, the old saying, you can always tell who the pioneers are. They're the guys with the arrows in their backs. <laughs> yeah, I've got a, a, a few. People don't complain to me or bitch to me. They go find my wife and rip her head off. And she's, you know, Penny and I have been together 24 years. 
and mm, she really is the, the the backbone of the institute and angie yeah. and i've been together eight years but yeah so there's nothing more deeply spiritual and meaningful than an honest loving relationship and so i think uh today's a very good day for you to, to celebrate that and thank you for all that you're doing and thank you for sharing this amazing update and giving us a chance to really reflect on the importance of discernment and taking our time and not being in such a hurry to have opinions and judgments and not being too heavily polarized and realizing that our media outlets are really propaganda outlets and that we've lost authentic journalism with the exception of a few people who unfortunately can't work for the media because oftentimes the truth goes against the agenda. So I'm very grateful for what you're doing. And, and I, I really feel the, the, the pandemic movies, even, even for someone that didn't agree with it, it's a great way to look at the alternative opinions from the mainstream with regard to those issues. And only when you do that, can you ever make a, a, a decision? And I'll close by telling you a technique I use to teach my students this, and it's actually quite cute and funny. Inevitably, wherever we're teaching, there's a tree somewhere nearby. Oftentimes, we teach at eco-resorts. So when I'm at this section of the class where I'm teaching what I call holistic thinking, I point out the window. I say, okay, everybody, who sees the tree outside? And they all say, we do. I say, raise your hand if you see the tree. Everyone goes up. Okay, who's sure they see the tree? Every hand goes up. Then I say, are you sure you can see the whole tree? 99% of the hands go up. And I say to the one person that doesn't raise their hand, and they usually say, well, I can't see the other side of the tree. I say, very good. If you could see the other side of the tree, would you sure be sure you could see the whole tree? And they say, yes. I go, okay, good. Then I show them a slide of the root system of a tree showing that it's as big or bigger, usually a lot bigger than what's above the ground. And I say, yeah, you got to remember that half that tree or more is below the ground. And when you're dealing with people's problems, you got to look deeper than what you can see. Even if you walk around the problem, you have to look into the roots of it or you're going to be misled and you're going to be part of the problem, not the solution. Beautiful metaphor to end this interview, Paul. Thank you for that. Wow. Yeah. So lots of love. Perfect. Lots of love to you too, my friend. Thank you so much for being such a good listener and giving me this opportunity. It's the first interview I've done since the Capitol experience, and I'm, and I'm glad it was with you. Hey, thank man, you. Thank you. I'm, I'm yeah. blessed, and uh, I look forward, uh, whenever you have something else to share, let me know. Let's stay in touch because I love, I love uh, learning from you. Thank you, and likewise, my friend. Take care. Take care. Thank you for listening to Living 4D with Paul Check and today's guest, Mickey Willis. Connect with Mickey via Facebook at Mickey.Willis or Instagram at Mickey Allen Willis. And that's spelt M-I-K-K-I-A-L-L-E-N-W-I-L-L-I-S. You can watch the Plandemic 1 and Plandemic 2 films at PlandemicSeries.com and check out Mickey's YouTube channel for his Elevate Family Project at YouTube.com forward slash C forward slash Mickey Willis. 
follow Paul Check on Instagram at paul.check, on Twitter at Paul Check, or on his YouTube podcast channel, youtube.com forward slash living 4D with Paul Check. Watch more on Paul's blog at paulchecksblog.com and get your free subscription to Czech videos and more at the Czech Institute's new media site, chekiva.com. Remember, you can read the show notes and find links to the resources mentioned in this episode at checkinstitute.com forward slash podcast.